Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. How many of you love the Word of God? You know, I thank God for the ministry of faith. I really do. I really thank Him for the ministry of faith. I thank God for getting hooked up to those that believe the Word of God when I first got saved. I think I can stand here and talk to you for about the next 12 hours and just go over some of the events of our lives that took place in the first five years of our being born again. And actually, I'd never get done. i just have to stop. Because I think we went through, in the first four or five years of our born again experience, I think more than what some people have gone through in, in 20. And I only say that because of faith. Because we learned how to get right into the message of faith when we first got saved. First place we went. You know, it's harder to, to um, first of all, when someone's educated, it's harder to take away that which they have learned and then reprogram them. It's harder to reprogram somebody. That's, that's true in the natural world, but it's more so in the spiritual realm. That once someone's been programmed the wrong way, it's very difficult for them to get turned around into the right direction because you've got to deprogram and then reprogram. You know, take out that which was wrong and then put in that which is right. And the thing about the Word of God and the things of the Spirit is that the human spirit is greatly affected by the words that we say, the words that it hears, and then consequently it develops its own style, lifestyle, see? And once a human spirit is programmed to go one way, it's hard to change that. And so when I first got saved, it wasn't like that. See, I didn't have anything to unlearn. I just began to learn. I just began to learn about how much the Father loves me. I just began to learn how much He wanted to bless me. Then I learned how much He did bless me. And then I learned how to appropriate those blessings. And praise God, just one after another, they just began to fall, you know, upon our lives. Just one area at a time. Started out in physical healing. Well, in infilling of the Holy Ghost. Then physical healing. Manifestations of the Spirit. Just finances. Anything you can think of. Called to the ministry. And uh, if I have time, we'll get into it. Anybody going anywhere before New Year's? Anybody? See, the Word of Faith does work. And as our sister said, you know, it might take you a couple years to really get, you know, get it settled inside your spirit. But I'll tell you what. Once you do, once you grab a hold of it. You not want to live any other way. You not want to live a defeated life in Christ. There is no defeat in Christ. Everybody's a winner in Christ. Everybody's more than a conqueror in Christ. That which Jesus wrought in our hearts far greater than that which the devil did in Adam when he when he you know was born into death. And bless God, when I got born again, filled with God's Holy Spirit, God is greater in me than all the forces that have ever endeavored to come against me and to destroy my life, and they have. I mean, the devil, I could tell you about the time the devil just tried to just, just to kill me right off. But bless God, we held true to the Word of God. Use the name of Jesus. And uh, that name is above every other. That name is above demonic activity. See, he didn't want us to get into the ministry. You know, Paul, writing to Timothy, says, I thank my God who has counted me faithful, placing me into the ministry. 
And I thank my God the same way he did. See, you can't get into, into the ministry because you want to. You just can't get into the, any area and field of ministry. I'm talking about full-time ministry, five-fold ministry, and then, of course, there are others. Because you want to. You've got to get in there because God has called you, anointed you, and placed you into that specific office. Amen? Well, if you've got your Bibles, I can start preaching right on that right now. But let's, let's look at Hebrews 10 chapter. I have to do this. I have to teach along these lines because of, well, because of what the Word of God teaches me. I have to teach along these lines this evening. This morning, if you'll recall, how many of you were here with us this morning? Um, you'll recall that the Spirit of God ministered deliverance to us concerning what we call sin consciousness. Sin consciousness. Or condemnation, I guess, is a, is, is a word that we could use there. Sin consciousness or condemnation. So Hebrews, the 10th chapter, is what we want to look at. We want to call this or entitle this message... Destroying sin consciousness. Destroying sin consciousness. And I want to bring to your memory, to your memory, that everything that operates in the kingdom of God and in our lives operates by seed principle. By seed principle. You will recall in Mark 4, Jesus gave the operation of the kingdom of God in the heart of man. And he was referring to how that the word is a seed, and that word or that seed that's planted into the heart of man would produce results, or it would affect that life. It would affect the spirit first, then the soul, then the body. It would affect that person's life. Well, Satan in his kingdom operates in the same manner. And actually... Everything that operates out of death operates also by seed principle. And you can find out that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And of course, they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And so the seed or the word that we speak, the words that we do speak have the power of life and they have the power of death. We actually have the power to stop calamities and tragedies from happening in people's lives, by the, really in your own life first and foremost, by the words that you speak. Now what happened, and I want to bring this out to you because you will hear me say time and time again, and I thank God for the ministry we had this morning. I thank God. I mean, many were instantly delivered. How many, how many were instantly delivered? I know a lot were because many told me. They were instantly delivered when hands were laid upon them or just when they came at all, whatever. Whatever the case might be, deliverance came. And I thank God for instant deliverance. Don't you? I thank God for that. But let me say something to you, and I think that this needs to be understood by every individual in the body of Christ. We can prevent Satan getting any stronghold over our lives if we understand this seed principle and learn how to operate the principles of the kingdom of God. If we learn how to operate in life by the words of our mouth, speaking God's word from our heart and operate by faith the word of God, then we can avoid and prevent ever having to have manifestations of the spirit in our own individual lives. Now, I thank God for it. Don't you thank God that the spirit of God moved upon us in, in, in a different way? How many of you thank God for that? But how many of you would have thanked God that you didn't have to have that happen to you because you would have never gotten into that predicament in the first place? Glory. Say amen. amen. Now, I don't know about you, but that's how I am. 
In other words, I would rather not get sick than to go off and get healed. Wouldn't you? Don't you think preventive medicine is best? Okay. So now, let me remind you of this. Instant deliverances do not last if the Word of God is not taught. And if the Word of God is not implanted into our hearts concerning whatever the case may have been. And in this case, it's sin consciousness. Sin consciousness. Sin consciousness is an enemy. It's a disease of the Spirit. Let's look at these first two verses first of all, and then we'll continue. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those things which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. Now listen. Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Should have had no more conscience of sins. Had the first covenant with its laws and with its priesthood been sufficient, then those that received the atonement for their sins would no longer have had conscience of their sins after they received the atonement. But year from year to year they had to carry the weight and the conscience, consciousness of their sins until the high priest would go in and, and make atonement for their sins. See, it was called the ministry of condemnation. But now let's look at verse 14. For by one offering, and you have to read that all for yourself, but this is why Jesus came. But for one, by one offering, He, that's Jesus, when He was offered, hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. How many of you here tonight are sanctified? In other words, by His offering, the one-time offering, He has perfected us because we are sanctified by His blood. We don't have to have another offering made for sin. Jesus was sufficient. Now, he came to destroy the works of the devil. One of the works of the devil is sin consciousness. He came to destroy sin consciousness. Let's say it together. Jesus destroyed sin consciousness. Jesus consciousness. Therefore, Therefore, I will not have sin consciousness in my life. Okay. Sin consciousness is a disease of the spirit. It needs to be recognized as an enemy of the believer. And it needs to be dealt with by every believer. See, the shield of faith has got to cover every aspect of life. No matter what the case might be. You have to realize that the devil in his kingdom is always trying to put together or use one of his fiery darts to get at you. And probably one of the ones that is, I'd say the worst probably one for the believer to get rid of is sin consciousness or condemnation. Because it's, it's only, it's natural, it's, it's of the natural, it's of the senses. That we look at ourselves and judge ourselves after the flesh and not who we are in the spirit. It's so easy to condemn yourself, isn't it? It's so easy to look down upon yourself. When you try to compare your walk to the walk of Christ, it's very easy to say, well, I just fall short of the glory all the time. It's very easy to say that I'm no good, just an old worm, you know. Because you're trying to compare your, your life in the flesh to Christ. And that's why we're not to walk by the flesh, but we're to walk by the Spirit. Who we are in Christ and the Spirit. 
But now notice here, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy sin consciousness. Now the reason why many were bound up by sin consciousness, now listen to me, is because of the seed principle. It's because of the seed principle. You know, nothing just happens just to happen. It doesn't just happen one day and, and you know, and we just think that, well, just, just must have been something that I did today. Just got up in the morning and this is how everything is. Look, everything, I'm down and I'm gloomy and this and that. No, it happened way back when the first seed was planted. See, Satan is ever endeavoring to find a loophole in your life and in my life. And if he can get us to start to sow seeds, seeds of sin consciousness in our lives, then sooner or later it's all going to just spring up and come get a hold of you and you're going to be walking in depression. You're going to be walking with a guilt complex. You're going to be walking with an inferiority complex. Actually, the whole design of this sin consciousness, this disease of the spirit, it's designed to destroy your faith. It's designed by Satan to destroy, now listen, your initiative of the heart. When your initiative of the heart is destroyed, you don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to listen to tapes. You really don't want to pray in other tongues. Did you ever try to pray in other tongues when you're, when you're walking around in, in inferiority and guilt? And you're, and you're walking around in sin consciousness? <clears throat> you don't want to pray in tongues. And the initiative of the Spirit seems to be destroyed. Now, you know, we're going to get off the negative side in a minute, but we have to point out the negative side so that we can get a better look at the positive. As you begin to see exactly what the symptoms of this disease are, then you can deal with it. You could recognize them before they actually get a hold of you. But seeds, it all begins by a seed. And seeds are the words that we speak. The words that you speak, the words that I speak, those words will begin to produce in our lives. They begin by entering into the Spirit and producing these things in our spirit, which we'll see. How many of you remember the teaching we did on the parable of the sower and the seed? You know, maybe sometimes we should just teach some of these subjects once a year. Just once a year. Because, you know, I look back and I says, I'm going to go through my notes and see when the last time was that I taught sin consciousness. It was in August of 1980. August 17th, 1980. Imagine that. I said, no wonder. Well, I mean, we're only going to walk in the light of the word that we hear. And those seeds that we're speaking. See, I'm speaking seeds right now. Those seeds are producing. And I thank God, as I said, for the instant deliverance. But remember, that instant deliverance will not be long lasting if we don't get the word back in our hearts. So you've got to get the Word back into the heart. That's that seed principle. Well, let's just recognize then that sin consciousness is a fiery missile or dart of the devil that's designed to destroy our faith. It's designed to destroy our initiative in prayer. And it produces an inferiority complex. I think you should write that down. That's taking advantage you know, of opening up the devil's kingdom and taking a look, first-hand look at exactly what the symptoms are of this deadly disease. And it is a deadly disease. I'll, I'll be honest with you right now. A lot of people are in mental institutions because of sin consciousness. I had someone come over to my place. Born again. Loved God. But they were, that person, she was being driven to an insane asylum thinking that she had committed the unpardonable sin. 
She was so aware of her shortcomings and so aware of her failures and so aware that she couldn't please God that she actually thought that God forsook her and there was no hope for her. Now listen to me. The believer is strong in the Lord. And the believer has power in the Lord. But we are told not to give place to the devil. We are told that we shouldn't let, allow the devil to take advantage of the believer by using his power and authority against him so as to develop strongholds over that person's life. Now, consequently, this stronghold of sin consciousness was developed over this individual's life. And as I said, I thank God for instant deliverances. But, you know, you're not going to get everything instantly. You're going to have to learn how to appropriate the Word of God for yourself and then replace it with the Word. I'll give an example as to why. Remember that Jesus said that when this evil spirit is driven out of the man, that he goes into dry places and seeking rest and findeth none. And then he comes back into that house from which he was cast out of and he finds it empty and swept clean. And he comes in and he takes over that person again and brings in seven more spirits that are worse than what this man was in the beginning. And he's seven times worse off than what uh, he was in the beginning. Well, when a person receives instant deliverance concerning any, anything, healing, whatever the case might be, could even be finances. Well, if that person doesn't get a, a clear understanding as how to appropriate the Word of God, let's say in the subject of healing or in the subject of deliverance or in the whatever the case might be, finances, that person can find themselves two, three or four years later seven times worse off than they were before. Now, you think about that for a moment. That's why, and I believe this to be, with all my heart, I believe this to be the truth. That's why you're not going to find all the time where the Spirit of God is always doing things for individuals, although I know He wants to. Because He knows that if that person gets it this easy way, they're not going to get into the Word, they're not going to be taught in their spirit, and that devil is going to come back on that person and cause them to be worse, seven times worse than what they were in the first place. Now, you evaluate the two. I'd rather see the person like that than seven times worse, wouldn't you? That's why God's best way is just to get the Word of God, find out what the Word of God says, and get your deliverance by the Word. Then once the Word causes that thing to, to, to leave, then bless God, you're standing on the Word. You're not going to let it come back. See? Now, that's what Jesus came to do was to destroy sin consciousness. So we can't allow this stronghold to be developed. I diagnose sin consciousness as a, a poor self-image. A poor self-image. Let's turn over to Romans 8, chap 8 chapter. <coughs> and let's begin to produce a better self-image. Well, if, if I were to diagnose sin consciousness as a poor self-image, then I'd have to say that our prescription or our cure would have to be a study in righteousness, wouldn't you? A study in righteousness. A study in righteousness will produce a good self-image. See, actually, a, a poor self-image or sin consciousness is just looking at who I am in the flesh and thinking that God is judging me by, the, by who I am in the flesh and not judging me after who I am in the spirit. Now, in the, in the book of Romans, the eighth chapter, we find a great text, a great scripture given by the lips of the beloved apostle Paul. And he says, there is therefore now no what? <clears throat> okay, condemnation or sin consciousness. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you here tonight are in Christ Jesus? 
Well, then there's no condemnation to you. But notice the if. Who walk not after the flesh. See? But after the Spirit. Now, there's no condemnation to you if you're in Christ Jesus if you walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Now, what Satan does is he designs in this program of his a way where he could get seeds of sin consciousness into your spirit by getting you to look at yourself in the flesh and then confessing your shortcomings and confessing your failures and confessing your inabilities from your mouth. And when you do that, then those seeds begin to be developed inside the human spirit. And then that, that, that program, that principle of the seed begins to take over. And inside the heart, it just begins to grow. Then, of course, it's watered. As it's watered, it begins to grow more and it grows more and it grows more and it grows more. Till finally, you'll find a person that's depressed, self-pity, inferior to go into the presence of God. I mean, just in the worst condition you could think of spiritually. Just, just emotionally drained. And looking at themselves as though they're nobody. And God isn't even concerned about them. And it's more or less like God has forsaken them. And then they have no approach to God. They have no way to get back to the presence of God. And they say, boy, if I could just get back there. If I can just get back to where I once was. I remember an individual telling me that. He says, you know, I just can't find a way back. And you know, this is a danger in the, in the person who's about five years old in the Lord. Did you know that? When you first get saved, I think your first five years, in your first five years, just like a little baby, when a baby learns in his first five years, his personality is going to be that which he has learned in those first five years. It'll be characterized right there by what he's learned in his environment. Well, it's the same thing with our young lives. When we're first five years of the Lord, it seems like as though the things that we learn at that time affect us most. Now, if we've not learned the truth and we've not begun to flow with the word of faith, and we've learned how to operate this principle of the kingdom, and we don't learn about sowing seeds and words in, in our spirit, and we don't begin to use that principle in our lives, then automatically it begins to work against us. And if it's working against us, even unknowingly, and we don't do anything about it, then although we have been brought out of death and into life, Death will begin to, again, take hold of us. Well, don't you recall that James said in the first chapter that sin, when it's allowed to run its full course, bringeth forth death? Isn't that what he said? Now think about that. See, we have been born again and brought into the family of God so that we can learn how to have life more abundantly. Isn't that right? And Jesus taught us that the principle, the whole kingdom of God works upon the principle of the sower and the seed. And he said, if you haven't learned this principle in this <clears throat> parable, he says, then you haven't learned anything about the whole kingdom of God at all. You won't understand anything about the kingdom of God. You're just going to walk off out there in, the, you know, in this earth, in this realm, and be defeated. And after about four or five, like I said, four or five, six years, right in there, you're going to find out that those seeds are either going to be seeds of life or seeds of death. And that's where, that's where Christians begin to have calamities. And if they don't know how to deal with them, they may ne never get themselves back on the right course. There's a danger in that. 
Well, let me give an example. Don't you realize that it's, it's important that we find out the mental capabilities of our children when they're young? Because we realize and know that if, if they start off wrong and begin to learn wrong and there's something wrong mentally, let's say like a slow learner, that it affects them for the rest of their life. And if they don't have the proper training or instruction, they can get to a position or to a place that they never can develop mentally. Isn't that right? Now, it's the same thing in the spirit realm, and we need to know this. We need to know that we have an adversary out there who uses these diseases, such as sin consciousness, to begin to stop the effect of, of the life that's working in us and begin to bring back death. If he could do anything in a believer's life, he'd like to destroy you. He'd like to destroy your faith. He'd like to destroy your spiritual initiative and in prayer. He don't want you to pray. He don't want you to get into the things of the spirit. He wants spiritual things to be indistinct in your life. And if he can make it that way in your life, he's going to do it. And this is one of the methods that he uses. Right here. Now, the believers, the one who's in Christ has no condemnation. Say that together with me. I'm in Christ. I have no condemnation. I refuse to be condemned. I'm sowing seeds right now of righteousness. Jesus became sin for me. That I might be made the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. I stand before my Father without guilt, inferiority. I stand before Him faultless and blameless through Jesus Christ. Okay. Now we've got to begin to sow these again. I mean, this is a daily process. I think we should take a portion, you know. Of the Word of God concerning all these, all these really avenues by which we live. All these spiritual forces. You take righteousness. You take faith. You take love. And you begin to eat a portion of it every day. I mean, we should wake up in the morning and, and just begin to, to, to use the Word of God as a daily confession. Just like food. I mean, we're told that we should take from each group, food, you know, uh, class of food. You're taking, you know, milk products, dairy products, and meats, and so on and so forth. Fish, chicken... You take, a, lot of, you take a, a portion of each of it and you begin to develop it in your system. It assimilates it. The stomach begins to digest it. It assimilates it throughout the whole body and it causes the body to be healthy. Now, we should take righteousness. We should take health and healing. We should take prosperity. We should take love and take all a portion of God's Word and just begin to create a well-balanced diet for our spirits. You could do something like this. You can say uh, that the... That my faith may become effectual by my acknowledging every good thing which is in me in Christ Jesus. So today I confess this to be the greatest day of my life. This day is the greatest day of my life. This is the day that the Lord made. I rejoice. I'm glad in it. I'm a recreated being. All things have passed away. All things have become new. I am recreated into His glorious image and likeness. I am His workmanship. I am complete in Christ. I am complete in Christ. See? I have the fruit of His Spirit. I have love. I have joy. I have peace. I have patience. And you say, well, you know, you say that all the time. Well, do you eat food all the time? Do you eat food every day? How many of you eat food every day? I mean, you never fast? I got you. The Spirit of God told off on you. Well, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You eat food every day because you know that your body needs it. See, the whole thing about the faith walk and the faith message... Is that it's not all that spectacular in a sense. It is, actually, but not in a sense. Not from the outward you know, appearance of it. 
But I'm going to tell you something right now. Faith will work in the spirit realm without you seeing anything. I always say this. I mean, some of you out there know. Don't I always say it's working? It's working. It may not be so spectacular, but it's working. It's working in the unseen realm. It's working in your spirit realm, even though you don't see it. But I'll tell you what, when you stop confessing the word, when you stop speaking the word into your heart, automatically, after a little period of time, you begin to see the effects of it, don't you? Sin consciousness, guilt, inferiority, sickness and disease, symptoms, etc. See? No, it may not be so spectacular, but beloved, you know, I don't think food's so spectacular. You know, do you? You mean you do? Well, maybe spaghetti and meatballs, maybe, I don't know. Pizza or something like that. Big Mac, you know. But, you know, you, you think about it, you don't even think about it, but you just eat it every day because you know you need it. But if you tell a believer, here's your prescription. You have a, a guilt complex. You have an inferiority complex. You have sin consciousness. You're, you're ashamed to go into the Father's presence because you think He's condemning you. If you say, say this three times a day for a week. After one day, they give up and they say, oh, I, I did that for I don't feel any better. I don't feel any better. I don't feel any better whatsoever. See? Well, see, faith is the ability to see that it's working whether you feel better or look better or not. It's working. That's how you got to be in the position that you're in in the first place because you were working it from the opposite way. You know, you allow the devil to... Actually, you got taken captive by the words of your mouth. You begin to speak it and say it and say it and speak it and say it and speak it until finally you got a hold of you and you begin to, you know, manifest in your life. But here we can see that if we turn that thing back around and begin to speak the word of God, then that stronghold that the devil, you know, had over our lives will begin to be destroyed and be brought down. So, here we find out that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Look at verse 34, and I want to show you something else about condemnation or sin consciousness. Who is he that condemneth? I mean, you, you thought it was God, see? You thought that it was God. You walked into His presence, you wanted to pray, and you felt ugly. I think to put it down in, in our own language, I'm not... Are there any giraffes out there? I remember... Hearing a, a minister teach on one subject, and he was saying, he says, I heard, uh, you know, some of these ministers, that they just preach these words that are just, you know, he, he thinks he was feeding a giraffe up there because he's got a neck way up there. He's eating off the top up there. He kind of wondered, who in the world would put food way up there? They found this giraffe come along and began to eat up there. He says, oh, I see why he's feeding them. Who would think that, the, you know, someone, an animal could reach the food? He was at the zoo. That would be way up there. Oh, long that neck giraffe came and began to feed up there. Jesus didn't bring it way up there. He brought it down to the people's level so everybody could understand it. So when I say when you, you walk into the Father's presence and you, and, you, and you felt like a scudge, you know what I'm talking about then, right? Isn't that right? I mean, you, I, mean I know you've all been there. I know you've been there because you've got the same flesh I've got. Amen? And you, you just got into the Father's presence and you thought, well, it's Him. I just felt I just couldn't pray. I wanted to pray, but I could. I know I should pray, but I just couldn't seem to have any initiative to get praying. You ever been there? And then finally somebody else could come along and, and for a while there, you know, the two of you working together and you feel a little bit better or you come to church and you feel a little bit better. But then you go back home and it seems like by yourself you just can't seem to work up any initiative to pray. You know what I'm talking about? See, there's something wrong. 
there's something wrong. It needs to be diagnosed, and really it's sin consciousness. And you thought it was the Father, but it wasn't the Father. Look it over here in this 34th verse. Who is he that condemneth? Is it, he asks, it is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. No, it's not God that condemneth. It's not Jesus that condemneth. It's not the Holy Ghost that condemneth. Yea, rather, it's Jesus that died for you. And was raised up from the dead by, by the operation of the faith of God, the Father. Made alive by the Holy Ghost. It's not God that did it. It's not Jesus that did it. It's not the Holy Ghost that did it. Who is he that condemneth? Well, let's find out. Let's read on a little bit. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You know what condemnation does? It separates you from the love of Christ. It makes you feel like the Father doesn't really love you. It makes you feel that way, but you don't walk with feelings. It makes you feel like as though you're not welcome in His presence. See? That's the work of the enemy. And let's read on. Let's read on and see what it says here. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted, accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We're not condemned through Him, but we're, we are conquerors through Him. That loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, or any other creature, nor any other creature shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And sin consciousness endeavors to do just that. Just to separate you from God's love concerning you. It separates you from that love. It, it tries to do that. And you'll find out that if you allow it to take a hold, of, be a stronghold in your life, it'll do that. It'll cause you to start to thinking that the Father doesn't love you. I've talked to people just like that in that position. And they thought, well, man, he just doesn't love me. I mean, I know that it says in the Word that he loves me, but I, it don't seem like it to me. See, this is a spiritual disease that we need to be uh, familiar with so that we know how to deal with it. Now, let's take a look at another scripture. Here we find out that it's not God that's condemning. Well, then what is it that condemns me when I sin? Let's look over, look over at 1 John, the third chapter. Here you'll find... In verse 16. Let's read verse 16 right on through. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. See? We shall assure our hearts before Him. Now listen. For if our heart condemn us. Now there is a difference between your heart condemning you and sin consciousness. And I think we need to know that. There's a difference between your heart condemning you and sin consciousness. Your heart condemns you. Actually, I believe the word that's used here means that your heart Knows something about you that's wrong. 
your spirit has found out something against you. In other words, your human spirit knows that something that you did was wrong and it's telling off on you. See, that's what happens in the human spirit when we sin. We break fellowship with God. Now notice here that this person broke fellowship with the Father. He didn't do something he was supposed to do. He had the, the funds whereby to help his brother or his sister, but he didn't do it. So consequently, his heart began to condemn him. See, if the person does this, his heart will condemn him. Now all that does, all that is, it's not condemnation in a sense of sin consciousness. But all the spirit of man does is finds out that you did something wrong and then begins to relate it to you. Convince you or convict you of the fact that what you did was wrong, you need repentance. You need to repent and have forgiveness. It puts you in a place of unrighteousness. Don't you remember that if we, if we sin, He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all, if we confess our sin, to cleanse us from all what? What is unrighteousness? Well, righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God without guilt inferiority. So unrighteousness means what? Not able to stand in His presence. Free from guilt. See? So right away we got to go to forgiveness and get forgiveness. Now let me show you again that, that, it's, that it's not God that's condemning us. Hold your place there and go, go to third chap, the third chapter of the book of John, Gospel of John. And verse 16. Now, here we see that God loved us so much that He gave us Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now look at verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Say that with me. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Okay, now if he didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, why would he be condemning the believer in the world? That doesn't make any sense, does it? No, look at the next verse. He that believeth on him is what? Is not condemned. How many of you here believe on Jesus? You're not condemned. You're not condemned at all. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, Jesus doesn't condemn us. The Father doesn't condemn us. We saw that. The Holy Ghost does not condemn us. As a matter of fact, I'll show you that the Holy Spirit doesn't even condemn. We know that Jesus didn't condemn the world, but the Holy Ghost doesn't even condemn the world. Let's look at it. it the six, hold your place there, 16th chapter of, of the same gospel. You learn this and you'll never be bound up by sin consciousness again. You'll never allow condemnation to grab a hold of you and keep you in bondage again. But you'll be able to walk into the presence of the glory of God and pray with full assurance in your heart that what you've asked and what you prayed for is granted to you because you've asked in Jesus' name. Now here in the 16th chapter, verse 7, the Holy Ghost was going to come and take over the ministry. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will, 
not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove, convince or convict the world. Not condemn the world. Convince or convict the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. Now if the Holy Ghost, the sweet Holy Spirit of our God, the precious Holy Spirit, the beautiful Holy Spirit, He's not coming to condemn not even the world. The non-believer. He's not coming to condemn the non-believer. He is coming to convince the non-believer. To convict the non-believer. That's His job. Of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now why is it that He would do that to the world but not to the believer? See? See, He's not coming to condemn the believer. God's not condemning the believer. The Holy Ghost is not condemning the believer. But because the Holy Ghost has given birth to our spirits, whenever we do wrong, immediately our spirits pick up on it. And a sense of condemnation, or actually, it's finding out that you did something wrong and He's revealing to us what we did wrong so that we know we have need of forgiveness or we will be judged. See, that's the job of the Holy Ghost. But here, even to the world, all he does is convinces or convicts the world of sin. That means the sin, as you see here in verse 9, because they believe not on Jesus. That's the only sin that the Holy Ghost is going to convince or convict an individual of. That's in the world. And that is the sin of not believing on Jesus. If they don't believe on Jesus, then as Jesus said, they are condemned. But if they do believe on Him, then they're born and regenerated into the family of God. Okay, He's also going to convict of righteousness. Notice this, the word again, righteousness. He's going to convince them of the fact that righteousness is available. Although He's convinced them of the fact that they're a sinner, now He convinces them of the fact that righteousness is available, although you're a sinner. And then He convinces them of the fact that if you don't decide between the two, righteousness or sin... By accepting Christ, then he convinces them of the fact that you will be judged because Satan's already been judged and you've chose not to walk in the boarding and experience, the light of God's word. See, he just comes and just very gently brings the light and conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, let's go back to that third chapter and I'm going to show you something about condemnation. This is where it comes from. I want to show you why your spirit is, is what convicts or convinces us of or condemns us of sin. Now, in the third, look at the 19th verse. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world. Now, the men love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, made manifest that they are wrought in God. Now, the, verse 19, the, this is the condemnation, that light has come. The light has come. And when the Spirit of God brought the light of God's Word to that human spirit, and that human spirit rejected the light and refused to walk in that light, then immediately, condemnation, judgment is pronounced. You know, the Bible says, Behold, this is the hour of salvation. You know, it's harder to get a person uh, saved if they keep prolonging it. 
You've got to intercede more continuously, continuously. Just keep on interceding, 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 interceding. And if intercession stops, intercessory prayer stops, it's harder to get that person to see the light again. You know the Spirit of God will not strive with a man forever. Now notice here that it talks about the light. When the light is come and they reject it, they're judged. Let's go to 1 John now, the first epistle of John, and look at the first chapter and verse 5. Because our spirit's been regenerated, we're born again, we're born of God, we're not under the judgment of the world, the light has come to our spirits, we are required to walk in that light and to grow in the light. Verse 5, this then is the message which you have heard in him and, we, and de- heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light... Now remember our scripture in Romans 8.1 said, There's no condemnation to them who walk not after the flesh, but after the what? We could say that walking in the flesh is walking in darkness and walking in the Spirit is walking in the light. And here he says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the what? Okay? But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What happened was, the moment we stepped out of the light. Now this individual that John was talking about. He was saying if a person sees a brother in need and he does not bring or give to that person sufficient, whatever you know the need might be, to meet that need, then it's considered that he walked out of love. He didn't consider his brother and he had the goods to give to him, but he didn't do it. He walked out of love. And the moment he walked out of love, his heart condemned him. His heart immediately said, I've got something against you. Now, if that person continues on his walk and ignores that conviction and does not make it right with God and says he's walking in fellowship with the Father, he's a liar, not, he's not walking in the truth. You can't walk in darkness and say you're walking in the light. Now, something needs to be done about what he did. He needs to have forgiveness. Notice what the next verse says. If we say... That we have no sin, yet we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If, but if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all what? The inability to stand in the presence of God, free from condemnation, guilt, or inferiority. We need to be freed from that. We need to be cleansed from that. And the only way that can come about is by asking for forgiveness. There's no way I could wipe out that which I've already done. I can't go back and relive what I did. So what I have to do is ask for forgiveness. It's an act of humility. But I have got to confess. The word confess means to acknowledge, acknowledge what you have done without using anybody else as a scapegoat. In other words, identify yourself as with your sin. You know, some people try to say, well, you know, Lord, I sinned, but... That was my wife. She made me do it. Or I would have never done that if them kids didn't make me mad. 
But what you're actually saying is someone else caused you to sin. And you're not confessing your sin. You're not identifying yourself with your sin. And you're not going to get forgiveness for that sin. Now, no matter what happened or what were the, the circumstances were surrounding that sin, we ought to go to the Father God and say, Father, I identify myself with my sin. I declare that I did wrong. I'm asking you to forgive me and I receive it in Jesus' name. Okay, now if the person does that, asks for forgiveness, his righteousness is restored. He has the ability to go back into the presence of the Father without guilt or inferiority. But now listen to me. Here is where Satan steps in with sin consciousness. Now, you've already done that. You've asked the Father to forgive you from your sin. You believe that you've received forgiveness for your sin once you confessed it. Now, all of a sudden, Satan comes along with his cohorts and he begins to bring to your mind a picture of the sin that you committed or the wrong that you did. And you don't do anything about it. You begin to listen to what he's saying. And all of a sudden you begin to identify with what he's saying. And then you find yourself, now listen to me, this is the pattern. You find yourself asking him to forgive you 20 times for the same sin. You ever been there? You ever been there? Might as well fess up. And then finally you just don't know what to do. You say, well I've asked him to forgive me a thousand times now. And I don't know. And I still, don't, I still feel ugly. I still feel Unworthy. Something's still wrong. I just don't understand it. Well, now you've got the disease of sin consciousness. You've allowed him to build a stronghold. This happens in the life of the immature Christian. He doesn't know who or he is in Christ or who she is in Christ. And so consequently, Satan takes advantage of that. And he begins to badger you with things like, I saw what you did. Yeah, you, you, you think that God forgave you, but I'll tell you what. You know, you may have gotten forgiveness, but still he's holding it against you. You're not going to get your prayer answers. Don't you remember what you did? You never got your, li your, your life really straightened out. You did that thing five times. Now, you think God's going to forgive you five times? And I mean, he begins to pick on you and pick on you and pick on you till finally you get into a position that, man, you don't know what, which way to go or where to turn. I mean, you ask him a thousand times to forgive you. And you find yourself going over the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. That's sin consciousness. You might as well just recognize it right now and just talk it, talk it up as being sin consciousness. I'm conscious of, of more of my shortcomings, my faults and my failures than I am of who I am in Christ. And if you find yourself in that position, you need to do something about it immediately. Because it will lead to destroying your faith. If it's destroying your faith, your faith is not going to work to get your kids healed. If it's destroying your initiative in prayer, you're not going to want to pray much. See? And if it produces an inferiority complex, you're not going to want to even get into the presence of the Father. You're going to want to run from His presence. Now, all this is due to sin consciousness. Not realizing that when I identified myself with my sin, that bless God, He's forgiven me. It's so easy to have a, a, a poor self-image, isn't it? If you look at yourself in the, in the flesh. But you see, the believer is not to look at himself in the flesh. Now... There are some things in, I think we need to know concerning the light that we're talking about here. And I think you should circle that word light. That word light stands for direction, guidance, wisdom. Remember that the psalmist said that, that the, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, light to my path. Well, what do you do on a pathway? You walk. Okay, I walk in the light. 
If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood automatically cleanses us. Now that's enjoying fellowship. But if, if all of a sudden you find yourself in a position where you're not, you don't have that cleansing, your heart is condemning you, it's because that blood is not effective to, to cleanse you from that unrighteousness. You need to have forgiveness. Once you ask for forgiveness, your righteousness is restored and that blood is now continually cleansing. But even though that blood is continually cleansing, if you allow sin consciousness to be developed, you won't feel forgiven. You won't feel right in the presence of God. It'll destroy your faith walk. It'll destroy your initiative in prayer in your heart. You see how that works? And you mark that down as a stronghold of the devil over the life of the believer. And he's endeavoring to hold you in a place of bondage where you, you won't be effective in your walk of faith. Now, every one of us, I don't care who you are on the face of this earth, every person in the body of Christ goes through this and must grow out of this. And the only way you can grow out of this is by being aware and understanding. I, I believe 2 Corinthians, 2nd chapter, verse 11, if I'm not mistaken, tells us that we're not to let the devil take any advantage of us. We're, we're, we are to be aware of all that he has operating in this kingdom. We're supposed to be alert and uh, not ignorant of his devices. Now, I want you to see something here. In 1 John, the, the, you're in that third, we will look at the third chapter. Let's read verses 20 again through 22. And then I want to share with you some things that we need to know concerning this light. <clears throat> Okay, for if our heart condemn us, see that's not sin consciousness. That is your, your spirit convicting you of sin, something that you did wrong, that you need to get right with God. Something you did wrong. As a matter of fact, I think the, the more literal translation is to know something against us. To know something against us. Think of it like that. The, my spirit knows something against me. See, you're not hiding it from, from yourself, from your spirit. Your spirit knows something against you. And if your spirit knows something against you, you need to get uh, in tune with him and find out what it is. I'm talking about from a mental standpoint. You need to find out what it is he has against you. And then once you get that taken care of with God, you get right with God, then you're free from it. Now, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. Assurance toward God. And you see, when you don't have that assurance toward God to go into his presence, you're not going to be effective in your prayer life. Now, in the fourth chapter, let's look at verse 16. Now, here's something that we need to know about walking in the light. Walking in the light. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with Him and there's no condemnation. If we're not walking in the light, we're walking in darkness. If we're walking in darkness, there's going to be condemnation, guilt and inferiority. Now, in verse 16, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we, where? Well, do you think that Jesus is condemned in heaven? Do you think that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father saying, Oh, I don't have any right to stand inside in your presence? But on the contrary, when there was no man found worthy to open the book, Jesus walked right up to the throne of God, took the book and said, Behold, I'm worthy to take this book and loose the seals thereof. Nobody in the universe was capable of doing it. But Jesus walked before him. And as Jesus is in heaven, so am I here on the earth. 
I have confidence and boldness to walk into the presence of the Father knowing that when I pray, He answers my prayer. Say it with me. When I pray, my Father hears and answers my prayer because as Jesus is, so am I now. I'm not trying to be. I am right now. I'm not condemned. See? That's exactly how He is and that's exactly how we are right now. Now, there's something we need to know concerning the light. The light. There are many, many, many avenues whereby we can get off and away from the light and walk in darkness. Now, the light is our knowledge, our understanding of what God expects from us in the Word. You'll recall that Paul prayed a prayer in Colossians, the first chapter, verse 9, and he said, since the day we heard of it, I cease not to pray for you, making mention of you in my prayers, praying that and desiring that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk how? Walk how? Did you ever read that? Walk worthy of the Lord. Say that with me. I can walk worthy of the Lord. Now, there's a difference between being worthy and walking worthy. Did you hear me? There's a difference between being worthy and walking worthy. Now, I, you, I, I'm worthy, you're worthy, we've been made worthy in Christ. Actually, if you want to be scriptural about it, we've been made worthy to receive all that Jesus stands for. Hallelujah. See, that's, what does that do with unworthiness? What does that do with the sense of guilt and inferiority? But now listen. We need to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That's the light. So that we can walk worthy. Walk worthy of the Lord. See, walking worthy of the Lord is a, is a certain walk for the believer. It starts by, it's all headed up by walking in love. But look at Ephesians, the fourth chapter. In verse 1 through 3. Here he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. I like that expression. The prisoner of the Lord. Beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. I've been called to be a saint. I've been called to be conformed to the image of a son. Haven't you? Okay, now we are told that we are to walk worthy of the calling. And the only way I can walk worthy of this calling is by being filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I've got to know how to walk worthy. And he tells you how right here. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, when each and every one of us begin... Our walk of faith. We are all going to have a special place in the body of Christ where we are going to fit into that body and be expected by the Father God to walk in light of our position in the body of Christ. And when that light comes to our spirits, we are commanded, demanded, and expected by God to walk in light of it. 
When you learn about physical healing, you are commanded, demanded, expected by the Father God to begin to walk in the light of it. When you begin to learn about financial prosperity, you are expected, you are commanded, you are demanded by God to walk in light of it. When you learn about walking in love, you are commanded and expected by the Father God to walk in the light of love. See, that's exactly what he's talking about when he says, if you walk in the light. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I sit back in my, behind my desk and I think, I go, Oh, dear Lord, we know so much of God's word. I'm commanded to walk in the light of it. Sometimes you wonder, do we know too much? But no, you can never know too much. But you see, once you know a lot, you're expected by God and responsible to walk in the light of what you know. Now, walking in darkness is just walking away from the light. If you think the world is going to be... Well, the world is judged because they've not walked in the light of the fact that Jesus died for their sins and accepted that fact, right? Okay. Now, you and I are expected to walk in the light of God's program for our lives. I could start from the list right now and just go right on down, but I don't have time for that. But we are expected to walk in the light. We're expected to walk in the light of faith. Did you know that? You know how faith works. How many of you know Mark 11, 23 and 24? You're expected to walk in the light of love. We've learned about agape love. How many of you know about agape love? You're expected to walk in love. How many of you have ever, when you got out of love, got condemned in your spirit? What's the first thing you did? Repent, ask forgiveness, and got back in the light. See? Now, the, if, if you walk out of the light, you can walk out of the light just by doing this. You mean the time's gone already? Where did it go? Hallelujah to Jesus. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.